So today, obviously, is Good Friday, and what we commemorate on this day is that which is central to Christianity. We commemorate or celebrate that day when Jesus Christ, both perfect man and holy God, was crucified. And this act, this crucifixion, was simultaneously the most appalling and the most beautiful, loving act that ever occurred. It was appalling because this was the day when sinful created men judged and executed punishment on a holy God. And it was the most loving act ever because it was planned by God, ordained by God, initiated by God, and executed by God for our benefit so that we can have redemption. We need to know one thing, that Jesus' life was not taken from him that day on that cross. Jesus gave his life that day on that cross. He laid it down willingly because of his deep, deep love for us. The title of this shorter message that I'm preaching tonight is taken from John 19, verse 30. And according to John's gospel, these are the last words that Jesus uttered before he gave up his spirit. Well-known words often recited on this day. Three words, it is finished. Now, we might be tempted to think when we read that casually, it is finished, we might be tempted to think that Jesus is saying, I am finished. To think that he is saying, my strength is failing. I am done suffering. And this is really just an announcement that he is about to die, saying that he is finished. But oh, would we be wrong if that is what we think those words mean. No, friends, that, those words it is finished, did not mean that Jesus was failing, but to the contrary, it meant that he was victorious, that he conquered on that cross. <laughs> Charles Spurgeon, speaking of those three words, it is finished, said this. He says, there is in an ocean of meaning, there is an ocean of meaning in this drop of language. It is finished, drop of language. But there's an ocean of meaning when Jesus said it is finished. The original Greek for this phrase, it is finished, is a single word. Tetelestai. And tetelestai meant to have completed or to have paid in full. And what we will not attempt tonight is to extract all of the details from all of the ocean of meaning that is captured in those words. But rather what we will do is to take one drop from that ocean and look in utter amazement at that one drop and to humbly ask God to reveal to us the depth of the meaning of that one drop of the ocean of meaning of those words of our Lord, it is finished. 
Friends, when Jesus said, Tetelestai, it is finished, it was not that he was failing. What he was saying is that all the work that the Father had sent him to accomplish here on earth was now completed. And here is our drop from that ocean of meaning that we will look at tonight. Tetelestide, paid in full, mean that Jesus completed the work of propitiation, propitiating God's wrath against us. It means that what he did was he satisfied God's wrath, he quenched God's wrath, he absorbed God's wrath, he pacified God's wrath that burned against our sins. And he did that by bearing our guilt, by taking our punishment, and by paying the full penalty for our sin. Tetelestai paid in full. In the passage that we will look at tonight, if you have a Bible, please open your Bible there, Romans 3. We're going to look at verses 22b, the later part of verse 22 through verse 25 of Romans 3. Let's read it together. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. We need propitiation. We need God's wrath quenched. And sometimes people ask, why do I even need that? I'm a pretty good person why would God be angry at me? Why would there be wrath against me that need to be quenched, satisfied? And those are, tr those are good questions. Those are valid questions. But here is the truth from our passage. There is no distinction. All, meaning all, have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Or if we look a little, just in that same chapter, look a little earlier in verse 9, it says, none is righteous, no, not one. And these passages show us the terrifying, terrifying truth that there are no exceptions. All people ever are considered sinners and as a result are separated from God. An important consideration to make here is that these passages do not simply address our actions of sinning, our activities of sinning. These passages address our nature as being sin. We don't only commit sin, our natures are sinful. Where does this come from? Romans 5 and verse 12 gives us the answer. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. 
we inherited our sin nature. Or a better way to say is, our sin nature was imputed to us. The fact is, we all are sinners by nature. We are not basically good people that have a few flaws and make a few mistakes. According to God's word, we are all utterly sinful. Our hearts, according to Jeremiah 17, are desperately deceitful and wicked. And so if your assessment of yourself is that you are a mostly good person, that God should accept you because you're a good person, know this, that you do not have a perspective of yourself that the Bible holds. So the very serious problem that all humans face is that because of our sin nature, God's righteous wrath is against us. Romans 1 and verse 18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And this is confusing to many people. If God is love, if the Bible says God is love, why is he angry? Why is there wrath if he is love? And I think we need to consider here that the anger and the wrath of God is not the anger or wrath that we think of, that we know as humans. Listen to what J.I. Packer says the wrath of God is. He says, God's wrath is not the capricious arbitrary, bad-tempered, and conceited anger that pagans attribute to their gods, nor is it the sinful, resentful, malicious, infantile anger that we find among humans. God's wrath is the holy revulsion of God's being against that which is the contradiction of his holiness. And this is righteous anger, the right action of moral perfection in the creator towards moral perversity in the creature. Deep definition. God, my friends, being holy, can have no other disposition against sin than a holy, righteous revulsion and anger. If he could merely ignore sin, look the other way, dismiss our sin, then he would not be a just and a righteous and a holy God. Sin must be judged and sin must be punished. And herein lies the dilemma that every human faces as a result, that our sin separates us from God He is holy, we are sinful, and therefore he opposes us. And even more, there is no way for you and me to reconcile ourselves with God. We can do nothing to appease him, to say, I don't want to be separate from you. We are sinful, he is holy. 
And this separation will result in us one day standing guilty before God's judgment throne, condemned because of our sin nature. Only if our sins are atoned for, meaning a sacrifice, an acceptable sacrifice is paid for our sin. Only if our sin is atoned for would God's wrath against us be quenched, be absorbed, and can we be reconciled to God and can we be accepted by him and adopted by him? So do we need propitiation? Do we need God's righteous wrath to be satisfied on our behalf? Yes. Yes, each one of us do. Without his wrath quenched, we will remain in opposition to him, separated from him, enemies of the most holy God, and guilty for all eternity. That's our dilemma. Our passage this morning, haha, caught myself, this evening, our passage this evening reveals good news, though. And that is that Jesus is our propitiation. Jesus is the one satisfying God's wrath on our behalf. So look with me back in Romans 3. We already saw this, verse 22. For there is no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's who we are as humans. But then look in verse 24. And we are justified by his grace as a gift. We are justified. Now, justification is a legal term. Justification is a legal act of God in which he does two things. One, he reckons our sins as forgiven and Christ's righteousness belonging to us. And two, he declares us to be righteous in his sight unthinkable and we have to go like wait what verse 23 how do we get from verse 23 that says being we're sinners falling short from God's glory standing under his righteous judgment that's 23 and 24 it says being justified having our sins forgiven and being declared righteous how do we get from 23 to 24 instantaneously and the answer is right there in verse 24b how do we get there through the redemption that is in Christ whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood friends we went from being judged to being declared righteous because Jesus on the cross satisfied God's wrath on our behalf and we have to be clear here Jesus did not just shield God's wrath He didn't just reflect God's wrath. He absorbed it and he exhausted it on our behalf. God's wrath was completely poured out on Jesus on that cross and he absorbed that wrath. How did he do that? Look at verse 24. By his blood. Jesus became the perfect sacrifice for us. He took the punishment that God's wrath required of us on himself and he 
He paid the penalty for us by shedding his blood for us, without which there could be no forgiveness of sins. Friends, Jesus died a substitutionary death for you and for me. Hebrews 9 verse 12 says, He entered once for all into the holy place. This is a reference to when the high priest of Israel would make uh, offer on account of the people. He entered once, Jesus entered once for all into the holy place, but not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Jesus became the perfect eternal sacrifice for you and for me by the shedding of his blood on that cross that atoned for our sins and quenched God's wrath against us. And here's the thing that really blows my mind. If we look at verse end of verse 24, it says, talks about Jesus Christ, and then verse 25 starts by this, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. Can you imagine, church, that at the same time that God's righteous wrath and anger burned against us, he also loved us. And he loved us so much that he initiated the redemp- our redemption by putting forth Jesus as our propitiation to quench his wrath and to become the perfect sacrifice for our sins by his blood. The one who stood against us is the one who initiated and completed our redemption. John Murray said his, says it like this, He says, God loved the objects of his wrath, it's us, so much that he gave his own son to the end that he, by his blood, should make provision for the removal of his wrath. Oh, may God help us to understand the significance of that, that the God who was against us simultaneously loved us so much that he gave his son to atone for our sins and to take away his wrath from us. Here's the thing though, church. This justification that Romans 3 verse 24 talks about, this act of God in which he reckons our sins is forgiven and Christ's righteousness belonging to us, That justification is not spontaneously imputed to every baby that is born. There is a response required here, and we see this in Romans 3, verse 25, when it says, to be received by faith. You and I will never be good enough on our own to be declared righteous by God. The only way is through the redemption that is in Christ received by faith. 
And so the question is, how do we receive this redemption of Christ by faith? And if Matthew was here, he said he broke the sermon in two, and he's going to preach about that next week. But I don't have that. There's so much, there's so much more to say here. But friends, here's how we receive that by faith. By acknowledging, starting by acknowledging that we are sinners And that we are separate from God because he is holy and we are not. And then by looking to Jesus and his work on that cross as the only way ever to be justified, to be declared righteous, and to receive redemption. To believe that the only way to peace with God is through Jesus Christ. And then by humbly asking God to forgive us of our sins and to grant us this redemption that he worked on the cross through his son, Jesus Christ. And when we do that, we turn away from our sin and we follow Jesus We orient our lives to follow Jesus, to treasure him, to seek him above all, to desire him above all other desires and passions and loves. We receive this by faith in believing in the work that Jesus did for us. Friends, on that cross, before Jesus offered up his spirit, he uttered the word, tetelestai, paid in full. And he was saying to you, and he was saying to me then, you do not need to live one more day in separation from God, in opposition to God. He was saying, I fully appeased the wrath of God against your sin by shedding my own blood for you. I paid in full the price for your redemption to ransom you for God. Now receive it by faith, by believing in what Christ did on that cross for you, that it is sufficient and the only way to God. And if we do that, and if God is gracious to grant us redemption, here's the result. Romans 5 verse 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified, same language, through faith, same language, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Can you see the difference? God's wrath against us, peace with God. God against us, peace with God. And so when we are justified and when we receive that by faith, oh friends, we live in peace with God. If you are here tonight and you know this peace with God, thank him for it. I pray that you will be freshly aware 
and amazed by the price that Jesus paid on that cross to redeem your life. And I pray that you may treasure him as a result more and more and more and more and that you will love him more and more and more. If you're here tonight and you do not know this peace with God, only you will know. Only you will know if there is true peace between you and God. If you've tasted this justification by putting your faith in Jesus Christ and his work. If you do not have this peace, friend, it is available to you. Please please talk with me or with another Christian friend about this. God is eager to make himself known to you. His blood was shed on the cross for you. He paid the price in full to telestai. Do not delay to come to God to receive salvation from him. Oh, church, this is a drop. This is a drop of what happened on the cross in a sea of meaning. If we would talk about all that Jesus did, we'd never go home. And I pray that God will be glorified in our midst as we celebrate his victory on the cross for us and that he will make us understand the deep, deep work he did for us to have peace with him. May it be so. Amen. The band can come up as I pray for us. Lord, we really do not have words to thank you for the work that you have done for us. Thank you, Lord, that we can celebrate your victory on the cross tonight. Thank you that we don't have to be somber tonight, that you were crucified. But thank you that we can rejoice. Thank you that we can rejoice because we know you conquered our sins on that cross. You quenched God's wrath against us. You justified us. And you've established peace between us and the Father. No more separation but peace. Oh Lord, we thank you for that. May that be tonight, this weekend, and the weeks and the months to come. Be a thought that is quick to come to our minds. And may we never grow weary of singing your praises. And may this message never get old that we desire to move on from it. We love you, Lord. Amen.